We shall fight with growing confidence and growing strength in the air. We shall fight on the beaches. We shall fight on the landing grounds. We shall fight in the fields and in the streets. We shall never surrender until in God's good time, the new world with all its power and might steps forth to the rescue and the liberation of people. In times of universal deceit, truth is the only rebellion left. On today's show, private property, personal responsibility, small government, local control, all of these things are the pretext for individual liberties. And frankly, they set the foundation for our constitutional republic. I'll talk about this and more on today's rebellion. Good morning and welcome to today's rebellion. Today's topic is small government and local control, local respect, giving the responsibility back to the people, taking it away from the oligarchs and the elites that have assumed their authority over us. Those folks that live in Washington, D.C., those people that fancy themselves our betters that live in Oklahoma City or whatever your state's capital is. You know, these smart folks that live in New York City, these smart people, these people that think they're better than you and me that live in San Francisco, in every other metropolitan area across the nation, the folks that don't have to grow our food, don't have to raise our livestock, don't have to get their hands dirty, those that call truck drivers Nazis and white supremacists, when the truck drivers are a bunch of Sikhs and Arabs and Asians and Hispanics and blacks and whites who have all come together basically to take back local control, small government, and the authority over their personal lives. Just leave us alone. That's what they're saying. Leave us alone. Let us go about our daily jobs, raising our families, stop intruding into our business. There's a wall separating us from you government. And that wall is called our home. That wall is called our private property. That wall of separation exists to protect us from you, the government, not you from us. That's the context for the wall of separation between the church and the state. And frankly, that wall of separation exists well beyond the church. It exists in every area of a citizen's life. That wall is there to protect you, the citizen, me, the citizen, the little guy, the farmer, the rancher, the truck driver, the factory worker. That wall is there to protect us from the government. That wall has a door in it. We can open the door. We can go about our daily business. That's why we can protest when the government does things it shouldn't do. That's why we have the right to peaceably assemble. That's why we have the rights of association and religious freedom. That's why we have the rights to bear arms. Because the wall is there for our protection. Don't you ever let anybody tell you differently. As is always the case with the pathology of the intellect, the sickness of the mind, the reprobate mind, the arrogance of the elites, as is always the case, they turn 
good into evil and evil into good. They turn the world upside down and they suggest that the wall, the wall is there to keep the church out of the culture. The wall is there to keep you in your place. The wall is there to protect the government from the citizen. Bogus. I call BS on that one. That's nonsense. It literally makes no sense. And it is time for us to call a spade a spade. This government overreach, this oligarchy, this um, imposition from top down, this hierarchical structure where the folks at the top of the pyramid are telling everyone underneath them how to live their lives, how to dress, how to go out in public, when to go out in public, when to go to church, when not to go to church, how you go shopping, whether or not you can even go shopping, whether or not you can get in your truck and drive and make a living. They're actually telling us all of these things, and then they're admitting that they're going to take your children away from you via their public schools, their indoctrination camps, and try to teach them that when you have concerns about all of this nonsense, that you're the one in the wrong, you're the evil one. Again, they've turned good into evil and evil into good, and the prophet Isaiah warns us of all of this. He says, woe unto them who call evil good and good evil, bitter sweet and sweet bitter. Woe unto those who reverse definitions because it's called something. It's called lying. Well, today on the show, I want to talk more about small government, personal responsibility, local control, and local respect, and why those things are the foundation for a constitutional republic and individual liberties and freedom. I'm Dr. Everett Piper, and this is The Rebellion. Let's take a break, and I'll be right back in a couple minutes. Welcome back to The Rebellion. All right, uh, local control, small government. That's the topic right now. Uh, now, some of you listening know that I've decided to run for county commissioner here in Osage County, Oklahoma. Um, Osage County is the largest county in Oklahoma. It's a very large county. Essentially, it's the entire Osage nation. Pahuska is the lar largest uh, town in Osage County. And Pahuska is actually a national capital. It's the capital of the, of the Osage Nation. Now, if you aren't an Oklahoman and you're listening in right now, you may recognize Pahuska because that's where Marie Drummond, the pioneer woman, has her headquarters on the Food Network. So Pahuska has, re has benefited recently uh, from somewhat of a uh, revitalization uh, economically because of free enterprise and because of what Marie Drummond has done for that town that was, quite frankly, all boarded up, dried up uh, a decade or so ago. But now it is a booming economy because of free enterprise and somebody investing back into her community. So thank you, Marie Drummond. If you're uh, looking for a, a road trip someday, if you're listening in on this show and you're from out of state or even if you're in state, a road trip to Pahuska would do you good. It's a great place to visit, have some good food, good restaurants, experience a little bit of the Old West, if you will, and Oklahoma culture. Great people, great ranchers, great hardworking folks, um, a little bit of small town Americana, if you will, but still that independence of the West, of the Plain States, of the rancher, of the oilman, of the farmer, 
of the folks that settled the Great Plains moved to Oklahoma and Kansas, Nebraska, the Dakotas, the, the people across this part of the country in the heartland, they understand personal responsibility. Uh, they understand a handshake should be a handshake, at least it used to be. They understand the need for honesty. And they also understand what I'm going to say right now. Leave us alone. Stay out of our business. Just let us, let us do what we do. We don't need you coming in and telling us, telling us how to run our lives. So the rest of the show today, I want to talk about this idea of small government. An idea. Now, you know that over and over again, over and over again on this show, I've said that ideas have consequences. You should be able to beat me to the punch and saying what I'm going to say next. Good ideas, good culture, good communities, good kids, good leaders, bad ideas, you get the opposite. Bad culture, bad communities, bad kids, and bad leaders. Ideas have consequences. I talked about that in yesterday's show. We're always guided. We're always guided by our ideas. And if our ideas are bad, we're going to get bad results. If our ideas are good, we're more likely to get good ideas. I quoted Carlyle, Thomas Carlyle, yesterday, a Scottish philosopher from the late 1800s, who said, and this is a good quote, you should write it down, put it on a card, type it into your iPhone, keep this quote. Carlyle, and by the way, it's spelled C-A-R-L-Y-L-E, Thomas Carlyle. That thing a man does practically believe, the thing a man does practically lay to heart and know for certain, in all cases, is the primary thing to him and creatively determines all the rest. Piper paraphrase, ideas have consequences. That thing that you believe is going to determine, in all cases, how you behave. It determines all the rest. Thomas Carlyle. In other words, like your grandmother told you, garbage in, garbage out. What you believe is going to actually bear itself out in your behavior. Attitudes will result in actions. You know, the, what you put in your head is going to be practiced with your hands, is another way to say it. You can't separate head from heart, and fact from faith, and belief from behavior. That would make you a segregationist. You need to be an integrationist and integrate these things rather than buying into this segregationist attitude of cutting the baby in half. When you cut the baby in half, it dies. A, a, a living thing that you cut in half ends up being dead. And when you try to separate your beliefs from your behaviors, it doesn't work well. All right, so you've heard me make that point over and over again. Well, what's that have to do with the, this idea of small government? Well, the, it's, it, ideas matter. So the idea of big government matters. It will bear consequences. If that's your idea, that government should be in charge of everybody, hierarchical rather than covenantal communities, hierarchical, top-down, covenantal, we're responsible. We'll, we'll figure it out. We'll covenant with one another in our community. We'll guard our values. We'll declare our principles. We'll raise our children Accordingly, now get out of our lives and leave us alone. That's one philosophy on community, on culture. And another philosophy is we need to be told from Washington, D.C. how to live our lives. Or Oklahoma City knows better than us. And again, I say nonsense on all of that. That's garbage. And we're seeing the proof of that right now. These people don't know what they're doing and they're trying to tell us how to live our lives. 
They accuse us of being anti-science when they deny the science. They tell us that we're bigots just because we want to raise our boys to be good boys. And we want to raise our girls to be proud of the fact that they're girls. We want to teach them that biology is real, physiology is a fact, and genetics matter. DNA exists, and you can't deny the science and pretend you're something you're not. And when somebody does that, often they're insulting the people that they're pretending to be. It's called cultural appropriation in the, in the, in the current vernacular by the left. Talk about cultural appropriation when a man dresses up as a woman and mocks her, blackfaces her, and steals all of her culture, all of her reality, her dignity, her identity. That is not a good thing, and we should stand against it. Okay? All right. What's that have to do with local control? Well, we can teach our kids that if the government would stay out of our business. G.K. Chesterton once said, it's hard to make government representative when it's remote. Now, again, Piper paraphrase, when the government is out there somewhere, uh, D.C., Oklahoma City, when the government is out there, remote, it's hard for it to be representative because it doesn't know how to represent us. It doesn't understand us. It's not listening to us. The best government is local. The best government is small. And that's why I decided to run for county commissioner, because I think the problems that we face right now in our country are best solved locally. And the county commissioner, you can't get much more local than that. I suppose you could, do, you could argue city council or school board, and fine, fine. Get involved in those areas too. But that's what we need to do. If you care about freedom, then run for city council and get on the council and don't compromise your values. Argue for personal responsibility, personal morality, argue for personal freedom, local control, local respect. I'll say it again, local control, local respect, small government. Tell everybody else to pound sand and get out of your business. They don't have the right to do so. Tell everybody there is a wall of separation, and it's not just in reference to the church. It's in reference to everything. It's our wall. It's our fence. It's our school. It's our home. It's our community. It's our town. It's my ranch. It's my farm. It's mine. Get out of it. Leave us alone. There's a thing called private property in the United States, and we expect you government officials, smart folks from New York City and Washington, D.C. and Oklahoma City to leave us alone. I've told you before that uh, one of George Washington's favorite verses was Micah 4.4. Out of the prophet Micah, chapter 4, verse 4. George Washington cited this verse more than 50, that's 5-0, more than 50 times in his letters his communication, in his speeches as president of the United States. And here's that verse again. Everyone will sit under their own vine and under their own fig tree, and no one will make them afraid. For the Lord Almighty has spoken. Micah, excuse me, Micah 4, 4. I'll read it again to you. Now, at first blush, I could be tempted along with many of you to think, well, that's kind of a boring verse. Why did George Washington cite it so frequently? Kind of esoteric. I don't understand what he's saying. Own fig tree, own vine. What the heck does that mean? I'm going to read it to you, and I'll give you the Piper paraphrase. But I think you probably get it already. Again, here's the verse. 
Everyone will sit under their own vine and under their own fig tree, and no one will make them afraid. Full stop. Did you hear that? Everyone will sit under their own vine and their own fig tree, and no one will make them afraid. For the Lord Almighty has spoken. Micah 4.4. Now, Piper paraphrase, why did George Washington think this verse so important? Because it describes you and your community, your farm, your home, your family, your church, your town, your schools. Everyone will sit under their own vine, under their own fig tree. Everyone will have their own home, their own fence, their own property, their own ranch, their own farm. Everyone will have their own community and no one will make them afraid. For the Lord Almighty has spoken. If we understand the importance and the the weight and the gravity of that promise from Micah, the prophet Micah, and the fact that George Washington recognized that that promise was the pretext for the United States of America, for a free society, a free man, a free woman, he understood that this was classic liberalism, if you will. This was the context. This was the cornerstone for liberty. Everyone will sit under their own, their own vine, under their own fig tree, and no one will make them afraid. When you have personal ownership and personal responsibility, small government, local control, local control, local control, and it can't get any more local than taking care of your own. Your own kids, your own family, your own home, your own farm, your own ranch. Then you can actually say to everyone else, I'm not afraid of you. No one will make me afraid. The Lord God Almighty is the context for this promise. For private property, local control, local responsibility, and local respect. I'm not afraid of you. Go pound sand. Does that sound ungodly to you, unchristlike? Well, it's not. It's not, well, maybe my tone is a little uh, agitated right now. I don't know. Maybe I should apologize for that. But the point is this. And you know what? The prophets of the Old Testament were agitated. They didn't sit around like Gandhi and just hum a mantra in the corner. They were outspoken. They were agitators. They spoke the truth. They spoke it with confidence. They spoke it boldly. And had they not done so, no one would have listened. So I'm not too sure an agitated tone of communication is necessarily ungodly. Uh, Maybe that's just justification for my irascibility right now. I don't know. But my point is this. That verse sets the context for a lot of what we're dealing with today. I've told you the story of my meeting with Donald Trump. My one meeting with Trump, it's my one story. I'm going to repeat it right here very quickly. Don't have time to go into it in great detail, but it's pertinent. I told you how I was invited to meet with Donald Trump back in 2015-16. It wasn't the big meeting that you've heard of, of over 150, 200 people, uh, the evangelical meeting that all the press, all the mainstream media had a fit over. This was a smaller meeting of about 30 or 40 of us. And it was a meeting that was predominantly comprised of those of us who had written or spoken negatively about Donald Trump during that primary season of 2015-16. I was one of those. Wasn't a fan of Donald Trump during the primary. 
I said the man boasts of his infidelities in his books. He speaks negatively of women. He actually calls women on the stump. He was calling Carly Fiorino ugly. I mean, that's, that's rude. That's boorish. That's just not proper behavior. And if you're a Trumper and you're listening to me and you're getting mad, stop getting mad. Listen to what I'm saying in the context. I wasn't for him for good reason. And I've said before, if we're going to criticize Bill Clinton for not keeping his pants on, then we need to criticize our own when they don't. You can't be two-faced and hypocritical about this. Values are values. And I challenged Donald Trump's values or lack thereof in terms of his personal life and his boastfulness and his, his sexual predatory beha- sexually predatory behavior that he admitted of and boasted of in his book. So I'm not making it up. So anyway, during that primary season, because I had said some of this stuff in writing, and had actually been blessed to get a time on Brett Baer's show on Fox News, saying that uh, as a Christian college president, I couldn't support any of that. Again, during that primary season, I was invited to this meeting at Trump Tower. Now, at this point in the election, Donald Trump had prevailed in the primary. So what are you going to do if you have been critical of him for the reasons I've described? What are you going to do now? Well, I couldn't vote for Hillary, so I was in a quandary. What do I do? I go to this meeting, and uh, Steve Bannon enters the room before Trump does and tells all of us that Trump will be there in a couple minutes. Uh, He'll give us an hour and a half of his time, then he has to fly to Florida for a campaign event. We don't have time for all of you to talk, said Bannon, so we're going to assign five of you out of the 30 or 40 that are here, five of you only, to ask a question. You only have three minutes to do so. And they went around the room and they asked an economist to ask a question. They asked somebody else to ask a question on a different topic. And then Bannon looked at me. And I didn't even know I was supposed to be there 12 hours earlier. And now Bannon looks at me and he says, Piper, you've been making a stink about academic freedom, intellectual liberty, and education. You asked the question on that issue. Well, again, 12 hours earlier, didn't know I was even going to be in the room. 12 seconds earlier, I didn't know I was supposed to speak. So now I have to think, what am I going to say? Well, when it came to my turn, Sitting across the table from Donald Trump, I looked him in the eye, and I said, Mr. Trump, I'm the president of a small little Christian college in Northeast Oklahoma, and I want you to understand something. Just last week, I received a letter from the Obama administration demanding that I immediately start providing transgender accommodations on my campus. I said, Mr. Trump, I will not do that. I can't be compliant with Title IX if I were to do so. Uh, if, if I deny that women are real and if I take away their scholarships, take away their court time, take away their showers, take away their bathrooms, take away their dignity and take away their identity and give it to somebody else, a male who's culturally appropriating their femaleness and all that comes with that that's guaranteed to women by Title IX, I'm out of compliance with Title IX. I said, Mr. Trump, I will not do this. I will not dishonor and demean women like the Obama administration is telling me to do. So, Mr. Trump, should you become president of the United States of America, I have one request of you. I paused, and I looked Donald Trump in the eye, and I said, just leave me alone. And I was done. Leave me alone. What's my point here, people? Why is that story important in the context of everyone sitting under their own vine, under their own fig tree, and no one shall be afraid. What's the context of ideas have consequences? 
What's the context of local control, local control, local control, local responsibility, local values, local respect, local control, a wall of separation between you and the government, between you and your home, between you and your kids, between you and your farm, between you and your ranch, between you and your church, your community, your town, and your schools. That wall of separation is a wall that guards you against the tendency toward authoritarian rule, of hierarchical leadership, of the president and Congress and others telling you how to live your life when they don't have the authority to do so. The wall separating you from them is called the Constitution. It's called the Bill of Rights. We are not a monarchy. We are not a dictatorship. We are a constitutional republic, and that republic is built on the assumption of good people on farms and ranches being left alone by the government to do what they think is best in raising their kids, in building a family, in worshiping God, and engaging in community. Why am I running for county commissioner in Osage County? when I've got better things to do, is because I want to say what I'm saying right now and I want people to hear it. And frankly, even if I lose, I win. If I lose this election, I win if people just hear this. And they are hearing it. You're hearing it right now on this show. They heard it last night at a meeting in Pahuska when I went there to say the exact same things that I'm saying to you right now on this show. If I can challenge people to wake up and take responsibility and to shore up the wall, separating them from these people that are assuming way too much authority over individuals, individual communities, individual families, and individual lives. If I can get a handful of people, two handfuls of people, a few folks to just wake up and say, no, you do not have the authority over our schools, over our curriculum, over our kids, or over our churches, over our trucks. We're going to shore up that wall that separates us, protects us from such arrogance. Local control, local respect, small government, everyone sitting under, under his own vine and his own fig tree on his own farm with his own family and no one shall be afraid. That is the only context for a covenant, a covenantal government that protects the individual from the hierarchy, from the smart folks, from the oligarchs who think they know so much better than you and me, how we, how we should run our lives. In times of universal deceit, truth truth saying these things it's the only thing we've got left it's the only rebellion we have left so keep saying it over and over again and someday you may turn around and find there are a bunch of folks following you because it made so much sense i'm dr everett piper and this is the rebellion